Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to Godsplaining. This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. Uh, today, I am joined by Father Gregory Pine. How you doing, Father Gregory? I am doing well. Yeah. Mm. I think by the time this episode airs, I'll be back in Switzerland, but I'm currently in the United States. Mm-hmm. So it is good to be in the United States. It is good to almost be back in Switzerland or mm-hmm. presently back in Switzerland, depending on the vantage from which you take it. Wow. That's great. Great news. <laughs> How wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really great. Um, so I, I guess I'm in the U.S. I live in the U.S. I don't move. So well, I move a good bit, but I don't move out of the U.S. terribly much. So mm. there you have it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Great. You might be in Switzerland. I might be in the U.S. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what we're doing right now. How great. No, we're, we're really firing on all cylinders. Um, that, over our retreat a couple weeks ago, I said something about cylinders. I know that cars don't have like 30-something or 40-something cylinders, but I don't know really how many they have. So I said something like firing <laughs> on like all 38 cylinders or something like that. And someone after told me that there, there wasn't. Their cars didn't have 38 cylinders and it's like no I, I at least know that i mean they have like 34 <laughs> or something you know chill out <laughs> just chill give me a break man yeah. you know so anywho hey father gregory what do you call a phony noodle wow is this a joke mm. oh my gosh i wasn't prepared for this i don't know can you tell me yep it's an an impasta i uh, get oh it my gosh. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Um, so I have to give credit where credit's due. Emily Kling, our, one of our listeners, sent that to me today, actually. And it was very apropos because today's episode is on humor. We are talking, you like that? It's not the greatest segue. I'm so proud of myself for that. Um, I should also I should also say this now because someone else has been asking me to say this, is that my jokes would get me, you know, Domina canceled. Uh, someone said that oh. I should use that as a as a thing when we do something. So I might bring that in a little bit. But, um, you know, yep. for today, we're going to stick to jokes and not get canceled because uh, it wasn't my joke. So we can cancel Emily, not me. But in any case... <laughs> Today, we are talking about the uh, about humor, and particularly like the morality of humor. I think that's what we're going to talk about, how humor plays into um, human interactions, human relationships, uh, conversations, and also sort of what is the morality, or does humor even have a moral um, weight or worth uh, to what we do and say and act and those sort of things. So um, Let's let's just jump in and start talking about the morality of humor, or more particularly, um, the humanity of humor. Can we say that? I think that we can say that. Yeah. Yeah. So so mm-hmm. lead us in. Lead us in. Sure. Yeah, I think that um, you can begin with the observation that human beings tell jokes, and as far as we can tell, dolphins don't tell jokes. Now, maybe there's someone listening who knows a lot about dolphins, and will counter with the fact that dolphins, you know, do something that mildly resembles jokes. But what we're here, you know, to discuss in the fullest sense of humor is really, I mean, it's a human phenomenon or it's a rational phenomenon. In fact, when Aristotle describes uh, human nature or when he defines human nature, he'll describe us as rational animals. He has some alternate formulations, though, (laughs) some of which are hilarious. Like it's distinctive of us that we are non-feathered bipeds. Oh, yeah. Take that Mm. to the bank. You've never felt so dignified in your life as you are now, cognizant of the fact that you're a non-feathered biped. 
Um, but then when he, when he talks about certain properties of the human person which are distinctive or properties which pick out a human person among other animals, he'll often use the example of what he calls risibility. Well, he doesn't speak English, but in the Greek equivalent, risibility, which is, say, laughability. The fact that we can laugh, the fact that we can make and receive jokes, or the fact that we can make and laugh at jokes is something that's peculiarly human. Um, it's something that testifies to our excellence, testifies to our sublimity, testifies uh, to our transcendence in a certain way. Um, so, yeah, so I think that if you, I mean, whenever you're evaluating moral matters, you're really talking about what it means to be a good human being or what it means to be a better human being, not just in the sense of, do you follow the rules well, or, um, you know, how are you doing on your examination of conscience, but in the sense that, are you flourishing, right? Are you, as we used in an earlier example, firing on all cylinders, whether those be four, six, eight, or 34. 38. Um, so yeah, I think that... 38 the number. 38, my bad. Mm-hmm. Pardon me, I'm mm-hmm. embarrassed. Uh, so yes, so human uh, is, is a kind of starting point for evaluating moral. Um, yeah, so those would, be, those would be some intro thoughts. Yeah, and I think you, you mentioned the, the sort of the intelligence factor or kind of a, a perhaps for what I want, the point I want to make an engagement factor, the way humor is part and parcel of our ability to engage in what is going on around us, all different types of humor, whether we're making a joke or understanding something to be funny because of a certain particular situation or the way something's played out or the way, you know, what, whatever it might be. And here, um, I think of when when we talk about or when people talk about learning a language and, and a sign of being um, fluent or at least like proficient enough in the language is to understand um, humor in a different language and the context. Because wh- what might be funny, even in English, even if you were to translate it into another language, you know, literally or directly over the joke might not be a joke it might just not be funny um because it's not humorous to to people who speak a different language or live in a different part of the world but um that that in in our ability to engage in human relations and observe human relations and these sort of things is is it's not that humor i don't think humor is is the absolute foundation but is indicative of our of our um yeah of our engagement in interactions with people so when when Aristotle, who's much smarter than I, of course, identifies like risibility or humor ability um, as as being uniquely um, human. There, there is uh, there's something true. We can we can kind of observe it. There's something observable about that. It's interesting too, as you were as you were talking about Gregory, to note that like if it's something human, then it's also something um, that pertains to like the imago day in some way like it requires our intellect and to 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 understand and to participate in human so there has to be some sort of um, goodness to it too i guess we could at least pause it i don't know yeah yeah it's interesting i was trying to pick out exactly well without taking a deep dive into 20th century philosophy of humor i was trying to pick out what is what is it about humor that is you know, particularly intelligent, or what is it about humor that's particularly human? And I think this idea of humor always entails a kind of distance from oneself in the sense that, like, you know, we, we say that person is humorous or lighthearted who's able to take a joke or able to make a joke about himself. There's a way in which humor is uh, kind of part and parcel of transcendence. So because we are intelligent, right, 
Um, we exercise many of our human activities through bodily organs, you know, uh, but intelligence, while it does make use of the brain, as it were, it transcends the brain, right? So it's not wholly in, kind of encompassed by, it's not, um, yeah, what will one say, delimited by uh, a, a corporeal organ. And that's one of the arguments that, that Aristotle gives in the De Anima for the fact that the human soul is immaterial, well, and the tradition subsequent to Aristotle. And so I think that the fact that we can kind of get a little bit of a distance from our human lives, that our, that our, our human needs, while, while present to us, do not dominate us in the way that's true of other animals. Like, for instance, if you're hungry, you're not driven mad by that. I mean, you can be really, really hungry at times, and you feel like you're not capable of anything else. But you can choose to continue to be hungry until the end of the day because you're fasting for a particular intention. So we, so we can put a little bit of a distance between our immediate experience and then our kind of commentary upon or our thoughts upon that experience. And humor usually involves that kind of distance. Not the distance that alienates us from our bodily lives, but the distance that returns us to our bodily lives with a kind of sigh of relief, as it were, with a kind of exhalation that says, yeah, I mean, I'm an animal, but I'm glad to be this kind of animal because I am a silly animal indeed. Uh, so there's this recognition of a kind of contrast between uh, the, not the crassness or baseness, but the humility of our bodily state and then the transcendence of our you know, spiritual condition. And, and oftentimes humor is navigating the gap between just those, types of, just those types of things. So there's this element of you know, transcendence, this element of reflexivity, there's you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But to, to speak to the image of God, right, we are able to transcend, you know, God is transcendent in the utmost sense, and so too by virtue of our intellect and will, we participate in the immateriality, we participate in the transcendence of God, and that affords us to get a little bit of distance, just as, not just as, but in a way similar to how God has a kind of distance from his creation while himself being most present to it. So, yeah, those yeah. are some those are some half-baked thoughts. Yeah, there's kind of a, a grounding reality to to humor. Um, we hear this in even in just like common parlance about people who take themselves too seriously, you know, to like chill out, don't take yourself so seriously, you can't take a joke, like those type of things. It's I think there's there's a reality to that. Um, and in a sense, humor introduces as as it creates some distance, as you were describing, a sort of recreative quality to it. It's kind of, it can be a relaxing thing, a rejuvenating thing, a, a, a means by which, as you said, we can exhale or, or um, take a step back from, from the, the toilsome reality of human life and, and the burdens of human life to just sort of laugh or tell a joke, or be made the butt of a joke in, in good ways, you know, those kind of things that it, it helps alleviate some of some of the difficulties and the burdens of, um, of just daily living of the grind of life, um, in such a way that it's recreative, it's, it's, um, I was going to say recreative again, but it's, it's rejuvenating in some in some ways. Yeah, I think there's this kind of recognition that human life is too hard to take seriously all the time. And that's not to trivialize the very real concerns and trials that people experience. But there comes a kind of recognition that we just can't bear it, right? T.S. Eliot says famously in the Four Quartets, humankind cannot bear very much reality. And so we need to introduce a note of humor, a note of play, so as to be able to continue onward, because apart from it, it just proves insupportable. And it's interesting, when St. Thomas talks about play, he talks about it in the context of modesty, so he's got these kind of different species of modesty. Interesting enough, humility is one of them, and then studiousness is one of them. Uh, but then he talks about modesty of kind of comportment in life, among which he names this particular 
activity, exercise, virtue, utropalia. And he starts with this fact of the toilsome nature of life. And he uses this image from Cashin's conferences where, you know, monks overhear another monk being somewhat lighthearted and they're like, whoa, don't you believe in our Lord Jesus Christ? There's like some serious conversion that needs to be undertaken. To which the monk responds, listen, if the bow is always strung, it ceases after a number of however long, weeks, months, years, to be effective as a bow because it kind of gets overtaught. So every once in a while, you have to unstring the bow. Because we as human beings, as embodied creatures, uh, just can't rely upon our corporeal nature to endure all of the various things that we put it through. And so sometimes you just got to, like we said, exhale or take yourself a little less seriously in the sheer um, kind of abandon that comes with a recognition. Yeah, it's just, it's just too much. And that's okay because I don't need to be the one who, uh, who makes it work, as it were. I can rely upon God for that. So there's, there's a kind of lightheartedness at the, rec- at the heart of this recognition that um, yeah, we're, we're silly creatures and life's real hard, but we can't take it too seriously. Or, <laughs> I mean, what will become of us? We'll just be sour-faced saints, as, as Pope Francis once said. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that kind of brings into focus this fact that it's recreative. It, it returns us to our humanity. It gives us back a hold on, uh, on what's good in life, on what's enjoyable in life, maybe just in a very simple way. Yeah. Well, with that, let's... Um... Let's pause and take take a break. We're kind of nearing the middle. Um, and when we come back in the second half of the episode, we'll talk about sort of the use of humor um, in friendships with other people, uh, kind of its place, its appropriateness. Um, and I think in, in, in looking at those things, begin to talk about kind of the morality of humor. And then we'll, we'll talk about some forms of humor, too, and how those fit in good, bad humor. Um, you know, what is actually virtuous and... and um, constitutes you know growth in virtue and goodness and and godliness and those sort of things so um, stay tuned and we'll be back in just a minute you are listening to godsplaining visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes shop our store and donate to our podcast all gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners Thanks for your support. Welcome back to God's Planning. This is Father Jacob Bertrand, and I am with Father Gregory. And on today's episode, we're talking about uh, the morality or the role of humor and in human life. So um, I guess, you know, just like we did at the top of the episode, hey, Father Gregory, uh, how do monsters like their eggs? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I don't know. Mashed? No, I don't know. Oh my gosh, mashed. No, terrified. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> okay, another shout out to Ms. Emily Kling uh, and her wonderful joke. She sent me two, and we have two parts of an episode, so I thought, mm, might as well use both, right? <laughs> no? Okay. I mean, we're laughing. I was Probably gonna... uncomfortably, but, you know, that's all right. <laughs> No, this is this is the reason for which we divide episodes, so that when we have episodes about humor, we can tell two jokes at the top of each half. So mm-hmm. at long last, we have come to the discovery of the reason for which we divide episodes. It two now makes sense. Yep. Two years later, it has been realized. <laughs> it is finished. Uh, that's it. Thank you, humor. Oh. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So at the top of the episode, the first half of the episode, we were talking about the uh, how humor is human. 
um, and recreative in that in in our humanity. Um, but let's talk a bit about how um, humor, like fact, you started to talk about this, but how humor factors into into play and how that where where the appropriateness of that comes in. Because I think um, in in thinking about like making jokes and uh, you know kind of being um, a jokester, there might be a question of like, is it is it appropriate? Is it too much? Is it is it not enough? Is it something else? Um, how do we begin to adjudicate then the proper role of humor in our conversation, our speech, our relationships? Yeah, I, I was thinking about this when we were on retreat in New York during Father Bonaventure's conference, which was hilarious. Uh, but in that conference, he described morality as not just one segment of human life, but as kind of suffusing the whole of human life. Like there aren't non-moral parts of human life, as if to say, you know, when you're balancing your checkbook, you're not doing something moral. But when you're telling a lie, you're doing something moral as it were, or immoral in that case. And he was trying to make the point, it's just everything that we do pertains to our human excellence. It pertains to our pursuit of God and of happiness. And as a result of which, it reflects upon us as moral creatures. And I think that well, he actually mentioned it directly in his talk, that, that wittiness is one of the things that Aristotle mentions in the Nicomachean Ethics. So he'll be going through things that to us seem eminently moral indeed, like prudence and justice and fortitude and temperance. And then he just moves seamlessly into things like wittiness, which we would probably you know, be inclined to think pertains to a non-moral category. Either you're funny or you're not, but we don't think about that as pertaining to human excellence in the moral sense. But I think it's helpful to kind of bring it back into that conversation. Because humor is, I think, I think it's a kind of expression of prudence. And prudence is this virtue of human excellence whereby we do the good things that are suitable to time, place, and circumstance. And humor is one of the expressions of doing the good things pertinent to time, place, and circumstance. And we, we have a kind of inborn sense of this. There are settings for which humor might be thought inappropriate. Or there might be things that if you were to satirize them too quickly or too soon after they had happened, it would be seen in bad taste. So. There's not going to be a kind of rule-based logic for how you do humor. Sure, there might be canons of good humor, and I'm sure a stand-up comedian could give you great indications as to how you time a thing. But ultimately, it entails having a knack for your humanity and for the humanity of others so that you can bridge the gap between the exalted things of human life and then the kind of base things of human life and transition seamlessly among them in such a way as to, you know, kind of make light of our human condition. Yeah, you mentioned... Not make light in a dismissive way. You mentioned... Um humor is like falling like most like all things falling under the the guidance of the virtue of prudence as to dictate when where how it's to be used well um and in the first half of the episode we were talking about humor as having this kind of recreative grounding reality um but like all things there are pitfalls uh and sometimes we see this like humor being used as a defense mechanism or um, a way by which to deflect from reality. And I think in that, obviously prudence would dictate otherwise, but um, perhaps we, you know, we could say something about the, uh, the reality that the, like the misuse of humor in that way, not just the wrong place or time or topic, but the wrong way to use it in relationships um, as something that is like uh, kind of builds a wall around who we are and kind of doesn't allow us to be vulnerable, if you know what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that kind of transitions us into a description of like different forms of humor that are currently on offer. I mean, there are many ways in which to be funny. I mean, the knock knock joke is 
maybe one of the more basic, but I think um, you can think about the way in which people presently use irony or the way in which people presently use sarcasm or even crass humor. There are different ways to go about it, and I think that um, it can be done well, it can be done ill. And um, yeah, I think that, uh, that that kind of like leads us into the fact of you know time, place, setting, circumstance. So maybe, maybe just to kind of launch into irony, um, I, you know, just kind of thinking back over the course of the past 25 years, I feel like irony has become uh, the lingua franca of the millennial generation. And it's this kind of strange thing whereby people are always willing to slough off their fundamental commitments. It's almost as if nothing is sacred. Nothing is, nothing is basic, so basic as to be unassailable. Like everyone's willing to show themselves ambivalent towards practically every aspect of life even the ones that would be most sacred or the ones that would be most um, intimate or personal. And I think that there, you know, it, irony can be used well as a way by which to alleviate uh, maybe like tension in a situation. So somebody's, you know, being real uppity about something. Somebody's being all twisted in a knot and you kind of want to relieve some tension um, and do it in such a way that you don't escalate the situation. Sometimes a kind of ironic joke can be a way by which to go about that. But if irony leads ultimately to your friends not knowing whether you're ever being serious, then that would probably end, you know, that would end up being excessive. If people can't actually, um, you know, gain purchase on what it is that you care about because you're in the habit of basically making fun of everything or distancing yourself from everything, then that begins to imperil your humanity rather than returning you to it. So, yeah, I mean, that, that might be just one example of the kind of time, place, circumstance that we're that we're describing. Yeah, I think sarcasm too in this kind of list of modern forms um, of of uh, of humor falls into similar into similar descriptions of it when it's being used poorly. So it can you know you can make sarcastic kind of jokes for the same reasons that you might make ironic jokes or other jokes so as to um, make a make a even just make a joke for the sake of making a joke or or lightening up a situation or um yeah what, whatever it may be but sarcasm also in a particular way i think has um the ability to corrode uh like truth telling um not that telling a sarcastic joke is lying but that it becomes difficult somebody who is always sarcastic or always and everywhere um or inappropriately sarcastic is it becomes very difficult to um, gauge who they are and what they're saying and actually what they what they think about things if everything comes mm-hmm. out as kind of a sarcastic kind of snide comment um, because there there is it, it used excessively or inappropriately it, it begins to um, erode the ability to have like a real sort of um, thought about somebody else and what I mean by that is if you interact with somebody who's terribly sarcastic all the time you just never really know what to think about them or what they think about things and that in the end kind of erodes even further the ability to have a relationship Um, because if you don't know where people stand on things where what people think on things if you can't rely on a sort of an honest word about something um, you're kind of at a loss with respect to the relationship and that and that sort of thing so I'm not saying, and I know when you were just mentioning about irony, that that these irony and sarcasm are not, you know, inherently wrong or evil, or that like an ironic joke or a sarcastic joke or a sarcastic comment are not inherently 
evil or vicious. Um, but you can see how, like with anything, you know, they, they can become vicious in, in their use or their misuse of, of, what they, of, of what they are intended for. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think both of us are ironic and both of us are sarcastic. So I think that we're probably going to end up coming out on the side of defending these modes of humor. Because you, you'll find other people in the conversation who are a lot more, uh, what would one say, um, guarded in the guarded in their approbation of irony and sarcasm. So some people, you know, you'll hear it said sarcasm means dividing of the flesh or tearing of the flesh, and that it's a form of humor that can only alienate, that can't actually bring about a good result. And I, I think that, to me, that goes a little too far. But I think it it might just reflect the fact that sarcasm is not appropriate for many times, places, and circumstances. And if the other party is inclined to think in such a way, then maybe it's not appropriate in that circumstance because you're probably not going to move them from their position and it might actually disedify them in a way that becomes disruptive. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like in those particular circumstances, you're, you're trying to find a common language that unites people. You're trying to find a common language that actually uh, generates human communion, because that's the goal. You know, you think about all of these things as in some way pertaining to the virtue of affability or friendliness. These are ways in which you are present to another human being so as to set him or her at ease. It's not, it's not to make a public spectacle of another, of another human being. It's not to do it in such a way that you expose another person to, to ridicule. Rather, it's for the purpose of, of generating, generating genuine human communion. And I think that, that brings to light another aspect, too, of some of these forms of humor is that they tend to be kind of inside jokey. Mm. So there are certain modes of humor which will only really work in a certain generation. And if you try them beyond that, oftentimes they fall flat. And that, I think, is another reason for which one might hold off, right? If you're in a, if you're in a situation where you're hanging out with your nieces and nephews and your parents and your grandparents, and you just go for... I don't know, like, you, you, you pass around a meme and your grandfather's like, I have no idea what this means. Like, okay, that, that didn't attain the, the, to the desired end. Should I explain it? Should I quit? Yada, yada. But that's just to say simply that, that humor ought to be able to kind of bridge gaps rather than emphasize them or exacerbate them. Maybe that's just another, another consideration yeah. to bring into the mix. Yeah, I mean, the, and the inside joke thing is always, is always dangerous because it, it solidifies an otherness. Um, that for those who aren't on the inside, that they are not part of this or that group, um, which which can be, you know, when you're on, it can be a great thing to feel welcomed and part of a group, but it also can be a, like a super isolating thing when you're in a group and you realize that conversation and jokes have, uh, are, are conversations and jokes that exclude. Um, so there's a sort of like, I guess, in, as, as we're talking about this, there's, like the, the good use of humor has, uh, as you've already said, the kind of an affability. It encourages friendships, relationships. Um, it ought to have a sort of like, uh, you know, coming from a man, a sort of like gentlemanly quality to it um, and, and to kind of affirm and um, rather than like destruct that sort of thing, if that makes sense. And I think that that yeah. also leads to a consideration of kind of like crass humor or, or that sort of thing. Um, perhaps this is revealing too much about me but i think um i remember from when downton abbey was a thing um there was some point when like the dowager countess who's a great you know the grandmother in the show is her humor is excellent it's really funny but i, I think she's a hilarious character but at one point someone makes a kind of crass or vulgar joke and she says something like vulgarity is no substitute for humor or something like that and it's just like 
she just mm-hmm. cuts through like an, in, a rude joke and um, kind of sheds light on a lot of what we were talking about just by by that kind of thing. But I guess consideration for crass humor might be might be worth a, a minute or two too. Yeah, and I think that um, you, you find this especially with stand-up comedians that masters of stand-up comedy don't typically need to appeal to crass things, but those who are less masterful in their exercise of the art will often do so. It's kind of like a least common denominator. If you're, if you're going to get laughs, you know, at best, you use really well-crafted and hilarious jokes, but at worst, you can typically get by with just crass things. And I think um, the reason for which is because it's, you know, it's low-hanging fruit. Usually in crass humor, you're, you're talking about things that are, you know, bedroom or bathroom, things that are typically kind of vulnerable or even sacred, right? And you're kind of making a mockery of them. And as a result of which, the contrast between what we think ourselves to be and what we in fact are is revealed in real, real, evident fashion. And so the kind of humorous release that you get from that recognition, you know, is instantaneous. But it's, it's like eating junk food, you know? It tastes good initially, but then it kind of saps you of energy and makes you a little bit regretful subsequently. And that's, you know, that's not like a puritanical observation to make. I think that that people want to be called up into humor. And some of the, that's not to say that like humor is highbrow, but it's to say that, that humor ought to kind of like give you a way of seeing. I, I, there was a priest in our province who recommended to me for preaching. He said, watch stand-up comedians because they're, they're great observers of reality and they're great with timing. And he said, both of those things translate well to preaching. And I think that, that good comedians are able to observe things about reality that you didn't know that you knew or you didn't notice that you noticed until such time as he points it out to you. But often with crass humor, you know, <laughs> you know those things. You just typically don't talk about them in polite company. So those are, those are some thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, so wrapping up then, any summary thoughts on humor, where it sits, where it doesn't sit, what, how it should be used, summarize for us, Father Gregory. Yeah, I think that humor is part and parcel of human excellence. That doesn't mean to say that you need to be funny to be a good human being, but that you should have an appreciation for it. I think you should be ready to laugh and looking for opportunities to make others laugh as well. And I think that um, just like any other human excellence, it's the type of thing which will often take a lifetime, not necessarily to master, but to improve upon. Fortunately, the entry requirements for heaven aren't so much mastery as they are willing a higher state. So if you're not, if you're not especially humorous, I, would, I wouldn't say like, okay, content yourself with not having developed that aspect of your humanity. I think it's worthwhile to kind of listen to some hilarious comedians or watch some Netflix specials of hilarious comedians and to try your hand, you know, get a bad joke book and tell a couple of stories, excuse me, tell a couple of jokes about impostas. Savage, unbelievable. I can't believe that happened on the podcast, you know, and, uh, and just go from there. And I think that while some of it may potentially be embarrassing, it'll be formative. And <laughs> even if your face turns real red, take heart. Mine continues to turn real red every time I speak for longer than 15 minutes. So it's not the worst thing that could happen to you. Mm, there you have it. Don't be terrified <laughs> to try out humor. <laughs> Oh, love it. Great. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of God's Planning. Um, Thank you, too, for your support of the podcast at large. Uh, Feel free to like us, share us, do all of those things that help us become more and more famous because that's really (laughs) what we're after. Thank you, too, to our Patreon supporters, uh, to those of you who help make the podcast um, be what it is and continue to grow and expand and reach more and more people. 
Um, we are, speaking of expanding, we're expanding a little bit of our content. So um, we have been for the last several months having uh, an episode of guest explaining um, on the first Monday of the month. And we've recently incorporated uh, live explaining on YouTube where you get to submit your questions to Friars Live. Um, so we will be upping those a bit. Um, so the first and third Mondays will feature guest episodes coming up. And then the second and fourth Fridays will feature live explaining episodes at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So check those out. Um, we're not kind of throwing these at you to overwhelm you, but just to offer a little wider um, content. And, you know, so if you like some stuff, listen to it. If you don't, don't. That's perfectly fine. Um, know that we are, of course, praying for you and offering masses and rosaries for you and all of our supporters. So thank you again for that. And until next time, God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.